everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Subscriptions for Authors podcast. Today, we have Jay Thorne with us as a guest, and I am so excited for this one. I have been a fan of Jay's for quite a while, and I ended up meeting him at a conference like totally unexpected. And I was like, Jay, and he didn't know me, but I, I knew him. So I introduced myself and we had a great conversation. But for those who don't know about Jay, I want to let you know that he sold over 185,000 books throughout his career. He's the co-host of the Writers Inc. podcast, which has had some pretty incredible guests like James Patterson, Dean Koontz, pretty star-studded list. In addition to that, he's also the founder of the Author Life Community, co-authored books with Joanna Penn, and is also the author of tons and tons of fiction novels. He has a ton of experience in building community and really has such amazing insight on both the past, the present, and the future of how authors can build and utilize communities for their own businesses and stories. So we're going to dive into all that today. We're going to talk about everything from what the difference between audience and community is, places that authors can host their community, ways to think about managing your community, how you can build a business model on your community, and even talking about kind of some more futuristic technologies. And we have a really good discussion about where this whole world of self-publishing might be headed for authors and how we can work together to bring it there. So super excited for it all. Thank you all for listening. And if you'd like, if you're interested in subscriptions, we also have a Facebook group, a community of authors that's totally free to join. So I'll put that link down in the description as well as links to Jay's books, his podcast, his author community, which is also free to join, but you do have to apply. So anyways, it should be really fun. We're going to get into the conversation right now. What I want to ask you is you've been doing this for over a decade, which is really amazing. And how have you seen the broader writer community evolve? And how has your own community as a writer evolved during that time span? Oh, man, that's a huge question. So, I mean, I guess to put it into, into context for folks who are a bit newer to the space, you know, I was there when Kindle Direct Publishing rolled out. And I was there when the first generation Kindle with a full keyboard was launched. And, and I was watching folks who were in the trad pub world who were getting rights back and publishing onto Amazon and, and just making a killing. And it... I say all that because like, it feels like decades ago, but that was like 2009. Like, yeah, I mean, it was like a little over 10 years ago, but it's not like 50 years ago. And so I think it's a good reminder of just how quickly things move. And I think humans have probably always felt like in the modern era that time moves fast, but I feel like now the rate of acceleration is, is increasing and we're all feeling that. So yeah, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah, I've, I, and I've been thinking about our, our conversation and I've been looking forward to it. And I know you wanted to ask me about community and I thought maybe a good place we could kind of start might frame this conversation is talking about the difference between audience and community, because I hear those labels used synonymously and they're not the same. I think community in itself has become such a buzzword that it's become a bit meaningless and audience is kind of easy to define. It's just anyone who's consuming anything that you create at some point. So it's kind of like the widest net, but there is a difference between audience and community. And for you, how do you think about qualify someone as a community member? And most of all, how do you funnel people from audience to community? Cause that definitely seems like the magic we're all going for. Yeah. So, I mean, this ties into your, your opening question about, you know, what's, what's changed. I think, very early on, there weren't really author or reader communities, not online, right? So like you have 
you have audiences and, and that's been the traditional model of, of all entertainment. I define an audience as someone who's paying attention to what you're doing. And, and the communication channel between you and an audience is two way, but it's usually one to many with a response, right? So it's like, if I'm an author or a musician or an actor and people are following what I'm doing, I can broadcast messages to them and to many, many people, and they can respond and I can read those responses. That's an audience, right? But a community is very different in that a community allows the audience members to talk to each other. And that's the big difference, right? So if I have a, if I have, you know, 40,000 followers on TikTok, which I don't, but if, if I did like, you know, they're, if they were routinely talking to each other, that would be more of a community. But if they're just interested in what I'm doing, that that's an audience. We have to start with audiences. And I'm not necessarily saying that an audience is better than, than a community or vice versa. They both serve different purposes. But I think in terms of where we've come since 2000, late 2000s to where we are now, we all started as audience members. And then those audiences slowly, usually through social media, would become community. And so that's sort of the, the bifurcation that we have now is that we have, you know, if you have an email list or you have a social media following, you have an audience, but unless you have a, a specified place, even something as archaic and simple as a Facebook group, then you don't really have a community. And, and just knowing those differences and knowing as a creator, what you're trying to accomplish is really the most important part. Like I said, it's not about one being better than the other. It's just about being intentional about which one you're trying to build. Yeah. That's really, really good insights. And, you know, for, for you, when you mentioned that a Facebook group is archaic and simple, I'm curious because I think for many of us, that is like what we think of as community. That It's like we're maxed out there. So what are different ways in which you can actually build and, and host your community? Because Facebook groups for authors, at least, definitely tends to be almost the default. It is. And, and I'm, I don't like Facebook. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And I, and I realize that, you know, depending on the genre, like if you're, if you're an indie author and you're writing romance, then you almost have to be on Facebook. Like that's, that's where most of the readers are. That's where the, where, where the groups are being formed. So I think it's important to, to recognize that. The reason I call it archaic is because book groups were really one of the first places where online communities really thrived. Like if you, if you go way back, you know, you had, you had online communities via what were called bulletin boards way back in like the, you know, the, the late nineties and the, and the two thousands. And, and those were, and, and those, those were okay, but it, it wasn't until Facebook came along. Like even MySpace was more of like an audience versus a community and that, that, and that was the predecessor to Facebook. So Facebook was really the first opportunity for people to be able to sort of self group and, and communicate with each other. So I call it archaic in just the sense that it was, it was there, it's been there for a long time, but it's still very fully functional. And I think there's a lot of good reasons why people would be in, in Facebook groups. So yeah, I, I, I don't want people to get the wrong idea that, that, you know, you shouldn't be in Facebook, but I think what's happened now in, in sort of what we're calling web two, the, the social media era of the internet, and then what's coming next, web three, which is more of sort of blockchain and crypto and, and things that scare authors as I talk to them. We're definitely sort of in a transitional moment now where there are a lot of other options, even web web two options. You know, there the Facebook group is sort of like the default for authors, but there's places like Mighty Networks and Circle and even Slack or Microsoft Teams. There are an, just a limitless amount of tools 
that are available now that are pretty easy. They're simple to set up. Some of them are free that allow you to to build a place for your community to congregate. You don't need that with an audience, right? Like if you have an email address and you're building an audience is basically all you want. But if you're building a community and you want your audience members to engage with each other, then you do need some type of location for that to happen. Totally. Yeah. And for you, because you are a community owner yourself or a community leader, I should say, you run a community that many of our audience may be familiar with. It's called the Author Life. And for you, how have you thought about building that community? What tools have you utilized? All of that. Give us a little bit of a lowdown. It's relatively new. So the community launched about two years ago, right right as the pandemic was hitting, which was terrible timing on, on a number of levels. But it started out, I had done, starting in 2017, I started doing client work. I started doing author services, developmental editing, book coaching, mentoring, that kind of stuff. I did that for a number of years. I mean, three, four, probably almost five years, I did one-on-one -on -one client work. And I started to notice the same problems. I started to hear the same things that people would say. And I was paying attention to that. And I realized that there are only so many people I can help in a one-on-one -on -one mentoring situation. Like it, it's, it's fantastic. It's the, it's the best learning opportunity. I think if you have an hour a week with somebody and, and they're teaching you something, but there's only so many hours and there's only so many people. And I thought, well, if I take a lot of what I'm hearing in my one-on-one -on -one client work, I can build a place that addresses some of those on some level. I mean, I'm not saying that a community would replace a mentor, but there are a lot of things, a lot of problems that can be solved that are common that, that other people have. And, and that was sort of the genesis of a community. I started creating materials, sort of like online classes or modules that would address some of the very common problems that writers would run into. They were things like, you know, how do I stay motivated? How do I, how do I manage my time to complete a novel? What do I do if my spouse or significant other doesn't support what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. I mean, everything from marketing to mindset to family situation. And so I started with a WordPress site and a membership plugin, and I just started building this, this stuff and originally had sort of like an internal, like an internal bulletin board within that that WordPress site. A few months after it launched, the engagement was pretty low. And I asked the people, where would you like to engage? Because there didn't seem to be a lot of engagement inside that, that walled garden. And they decided on Slack. And, and so since then, we, we, we still have the modules and the content, and everything inside the WordPress site for members, but we do all of the engagement via Slack. And, and that, that's been great. I brought Chris Kane on shortly, maybe six months or so into, into that. And she's been with me since. She kind of focuses on the content and I focus on the community management. But it, it started as just a, a homegrown, self-built WordPress site. And then we, we put the community into Slack. And for the people who were there, that's what they wanted the most. They didn't want to be on Facebook because they felt like there were too many other distractions within Facebook. And so Slack was sort of like a dedicated place where they could go and talk about the author life. I love that. We actually just met Chris the other day. We did a, a fireside chat with everyone in our subscriptions for authors community. And it was really great to meet her. And I was like, oh, well, we're talking to Jay just this week, which is really cool that just a few days later, we're here with you. And, you know, you talk about community management and this is something that was actually brought up for the listeners like two weeks ago when we were interviewing Michael Chatfield. And he talked about that when he was running his CUNY, he started his subscription business. And very early on, like his first hire before he was full-time outside of like an editor or cover designer, like his first hire in his team was a community manager. 
and they helped him run the community. So that was something he outsourced as an author. You're obviously not outsourcing this. You're doing it yourself. So what are your advice to authors who are managing and running their own reader community? Well, yeah, I'm jealous of Michael. <laughs> I think that's hard to do. I think he's probably got a special skill set there, or he's really great at managing people because I think a community manager is, is a really difficult position to outsource. But I will say it depends on what type of community you're building. Like if, if the community is personality driven, I almost feel like the, 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 the founder or, or the public face of the community kind of needs to be the community manager. I, I'm not going to name them, but there have been other author communities I've been in and, and the founders are just non-existent. And it's kind of a disappointment, like, because in a way, it's like, I want to be, I want to learn from them. And, and I understand that, like, we're not going to have, you know, private DMs every day. But, I, you know, if I'm joining a community based on a personality, like, I kind of want to see their presence. And for me, it's discouraging when, when that doesn't happen. And so as a community manager for the community that I started, I it's a daily thing for me. A couple times a day, I check into the Slack group. I, I'll reply, I'll, I'll thumbs up something, I'll, I'll post. I can't respond to every single post, but I'm in there daily and, and people know that. And they, and they have said so, they've said that matters to them. So I think, you know, for me, it's worked really well to be that community manager and, uh, and I don't, I think I would have to hand the site off to somebody else before I would put someone else into the community manager position. I actually feel the same exact way. I do have an assistant who helps me manage my community because I'm just on so many different platforms right now, but I've heard from readers too, that like when they see me in there, they like really, really appreciate me like responding to their questions or just like even just liking their like comment like that is so valuable to them. And it's it's kind of crazy, but just like just like liking the comment means everything. Yeah. And like that's that's good that you've recognized that, Amelia, because I think you if you ask people, that's what you hear. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that's what they're looking for. For me, anyways, in, in my situation, I always feel like that's the reason why people will join a specific community yeah. because there's tons of communities, yeah. right? There's tons of MacBook groups. If you just want the information, you can join any one of those. But if you're going in a personality dependent community, you kind of want to engage or at least at least feel like they're in there. Okay. I come from like, I, when I started publishing, I published on Wattpad, which is like this free serial website. And they have like inline commenting and just commenting within the chapter. And I think the re one of the reasons why I was able to grow my community so quickly was because I was engaging with as many people within that chapter, within that story as I could. And so people saw that. And so they wanted to come back for more and they wanted to comment more so they could like talk to me. And it just... From there, you could just like explode or you could grow very quickly. I'm listening to all this and I'm, I'm following along. It sounds, sounds great. But I then am also remembering the distinction between audience and community and thinking, well, an audience mm -hmm. is when people kind of are talking and have a more of a one-way conversation with the creator. And the community is when you actually get the fans to start talking. And y'all are kind of emphasizing the importance of talking to that creator in the community, which is awesome. But how are you getting the fans to talk with each other? How do you actually kind of nurture those relationships between readers? I, I'd love to hear Amelia's uh, thoughts on this. I, I, will, I will be completely honest and say it's hard yeah. work. It's, and it's not for everybody. Building a community, like I want to make that clear. Like if, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, that is not something I would enjoy, that is totally fine. <laughs> you don't have to do it. Like, because if you're not 100% into it, if you're not completely engaged yourself, if you don't enjoy that activity, 
it's going to be really hard mm -hmm. because what I discovered at the beginning phases is I, I was pushing the boulder up the hill every single day. Like I was prompting people. I was asking people questions directly. You get a, there's sort of a flywheel effect that takes place, but it takes a while and, and it takes the community manager or the, the founder engaging on a regular basis. And then naturally those community members will start having the conversations with each other. But you as the community manager or the or the founder, you kind of have to set that tone like you you have to demonstrate you have to model that behavior. So if you're only showing up once a week and you're just clicking a like button here mm -hmm. and there, you're not going to get a lot of engagement in, in the community members because that's the that's the tone or the expectation that you set. Amelia, have you, have you had that experience? Yeah, as well? mine is like the exact same. I, it's when I started, like I had to ask questions. Like, when I was posting chapters on Wattpad, after every single chapter, I would have an author's note and I would ask a question to drive engagement. And I had to do that every single chapter until people started just to like engage with each other. So that's definitely it. <laughs> I 100% agree. Something else I did just recently, I know I have a couple of really, really active people in my Facebook group. And so I, somebody asked a question and I knew another audience member would really love the question. So I just like said like, oh, hey, I, I bet like she has some information you might think was cool. And so then they started having a conversation together, uh, which is really cool. So just like kind of finding the people that you think would really like an idea and just kind of looping them in. Yeah, that, that's great that you, you sense that because that's, that's another skill set I think a community manager or founder has to have is you have to have the ability you have to be a connector. Like you yeah. have to be able to see, Michael, you're really good at this. I knew from the, <laughs> from the moment we met, you are a natural born connector. You, you, you have to be able to find people who, who don't have a connection, but you see something that ties them together and you have to facilitate that, that connection. And so you can do that in an online community as well. It could be as something as simple as Amelia said, like, you know, you, you tag someone and be like, I don't know the answer to this, but he mm -hmm. does. And then you tag that person. And now you've, you've made that connection in a very simple way. And I think part of that too is just embracing the idea that just because you're the community manager or the founder doesn't mean you have all the answers. Yeah. So there are many times within the community, I'll be like, I have no idea, but, and I tag somebody, <laughs> I'm like, but ask them, you know? And that's that's just a really authentic way to, to grow those connections between community members. I think this is all fantastic insights. And like, honestly, there's probably dozens of ways to do this. So if you're like listening and like, you know, I have this idea, like test it, it'll probably work because, you know, there's no like one set way to run a community. But when we talk about running community, you know, this might sound like really exciting to some people. It might not sound exciting at, at all to some others and that's all okay. But what I am really curious about is the why behind running a community from a business perspective. You know, there's certain kind of, business models that we know you can run when interacting with an audience, specifically on social platforms. There's things like CPM, which is a cost per mill. This is famous on YouTube, where for every thousand views, you get, you know, a certain number of money in AdSense. So that, that makes it something that, oh, makes sense. If you're building an audience on like Kindle Unlimited, you know that for every page read, you're going to get about half a penny, which adds up if you have something like a million pages read. So all these things, like when people are actually interacting with your work, it's like, oh, well, okay, this all makes sense to me. How is a community leading to that? And what business models can a community kind of offer that might look different than an audience-driven business model? Yeah, great question. And let's be perfectly honest here. I mean, we're all authors, but we're business people. 
right? And you don't go to a dentist and expect them to, you know, work on your mouth for free. And you don't go to a mechanic and expect that to be free. So there absolutely needs to be some compensation for founder or the owners of the community or the people who organize it. And I think most people understand that, but compensation can take different forms. So when I started out, what I was, when the author life started, it was a paid community and it was, it was a subscription model. And, you know, whether you're an author or a content creator of any kind, you know, that the subscription model is like the Holy grail, right? That is sort of like the, it's, it, it creates a baseline revenue for you. It's, fairly stable compared to say royalties or affiliate deals, which, you know, are can spike, you know, you get a, you know, a, a new release and you get a lot of money and then it might be, you know, and then it tails off. Whereas a subscription model for a community, it's nice, steady growth. So that's one model. Another model is a community as a, and I hate this word because I feel like internet marketers have, have given it a negative connotation, but a funnel, you know, a community can be a funnel towards other products or services or productized services that, that you offer that are of higher value, higher ticket price, with the understanding that not everyone in the community is going to purchase those or hire you, but that is sort of where the trust is built. So if you think of different la layers of trust, when you have things like podcasts and YouTube and social media, those develop an initial layer of trust and someone might be listening to your podcast for a few months and then maybe they decide, oh, I'm gonna join this community. And then they're in the community for a while. And then when they see a product or a service offered, it's a no brainer. They know, like, and trust you. There's, there's no risk involved. So that's, it's a bit of a delayed comp compensation model, but I think using, you know, having a community as a way to seed, you know, future events or, or products is also a great way. And that's kind of where we are now. Chris and I decided a few months ago that we were going to make the community free. We were charging $40 a month for it and given the current world situation and inflation and a lot of just a lot of uncertainty that was hard for many authors to to make that kind of financial investment so we decided to make it free it's free but it's invite only and you have to fill out a small application to get in so we didn't just open the floodgates but now chris and i we we feel much more comfortable of going to the community and say hey we're, we're hosting a writer retreat this this for this weekend it's 500 dollars a person there's only 10 spots. If you're interested, here's the information, knowing that 90% of the people won't go, but 10% might. And, and those 10% are like, hey, this is great that, you know, there's some good old school reciprocity there. I've been in this free community and now there's an opportunity for me to learn something and to keep the community alive by buying it from the, from the you know, community manager, so to speak. It, it all kind of works. But yeah, it is a business model. It's got to serve something. I mean, if you're, if you're doing a community because you love it, that's great. It's probably more of a hobby. And I don't think that's necessarily what we're talking about or what your audiences, your listeners are interested in. Yeah, we're interested in helping authors make a living <laughs> writing books and doing their dream of storytelling, just as you are and someone who has a tremendous experience in that. So I, I'm right on this wave, but there's a few things here that make me like just my head spin a little bit because it's like as someone who's doing nonfiction, let's say, especially someone who's offering like business related content. Someone who's pretty famous on this on YouTube is Ali Abdal and this kind of like free mm -hmm. content into community, into higher paid ticket items that only a small percentage of people will buy makes sense. But a lot of times these courses are like hundreds of dollars that other people are selling. And, you know, a writer's retreat is a relatively high ticket event. And these are great. You're providing a ton of value and that's an awesome thing. It's a great, great business model. But for a fiction author, you know, books are $15, but print and shipping eats into that. 
ebooks are like five, we'll say, give or take. Audiobooks are whatever Audible decides. That's a whole other conversation. So with all of this, you know, fiction's business model, it seems like you're just, and I know this word we hate, funneling, but you funnel people into your books. That sounds nice, but it what you're doing and having these higher ticket items from a nonfiction perspective is also quite nice. So how can fiction authors maybe reimagine their own product offering to have different sorts of, let's say, price points for different customers' willingness to pay? Yes. Honestly, Michael, sometimes they can't. For nonfiction, you're solving a problem. You're, someone has a pain point and you have the solution. It's, it's much easier with nonfiction. I will acknowledge that right off the top. But I don't think we can say fiction in general either. I think there are certain genres in fiction where mm -hmm. a community is much more appropriate. There are some genres of fiction where the, the readers don't want to be in a community. So I found, I found this out firsthand. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, along with Zach Bohan and my buddy, we were writing a ton of post-apocalyptic sci-fi. And we tried a number of times to do different things to like create a community. I'll spare you the details because none of them worked. And, and in the end, what we discovered is that it was the wrong move for that archetype. So the people who read post-apocalyptic fiction are typically people who like to like live alone in the wilderness. They're like preppers. They don't, they're not followers. They don't want to be part of stuff. They want to, they're like the lone wolf. So here we are like, oh, come, let's build this community. And these people are like, no, just write the books and we'll read them. And that's good enough. Right? So I think you really have to know your genre. Like I know, like in romance, I, I joke all the time. I, I wish I could write romance because the romance writers are so savvy with this. And I see so many innovative stuff when it comes to romance around merchandising and special editions, but not just that, like romance, romance writers can get away with like, they can have like a reader's retreat. They can do like a, an IRL book club. They can do, they can do so much more than other genres can because those readers, people who read romance, read a ton of romance, mm -hmm. like they can't get enough. Right. And so there's, there's sort of this insatiable desire. So I think when you're thinking about like a community for fiction and how does that work into the business model, I think it's highly dependent on the genre of fiction that you're writing. I agree. It's beautiful insight. And, you know, as a sci-fi post-apoc writer myself, I can definitely attest to the, the differences in, you know, we'll call it like your ideal reader for specific subgenres. And I mean, that's also beautiful though. And, you know, I think in many ways, if you're someone who wants to, create a community, if this is something that like you listen to this and you're like, this sounds so amazing. You can then write with that kind of community to your core intentions. Like I want to write this specific story and match a specific group of people who I know are going to want to be brought together. And I think that can be really powerful. Romance, you're right, definitely has that kind of more inherently built into it, but stories, they're meant to bring people together. And it's been doing that for thousands and thousands of years. However, we did talk about all the changes that have happened over the last decade. And as someone who is at the forefront of fiction, for those who don't know, Jay Thorne's co-authored books with people like Joanna Penn. He has plenty of nonfiction books himself. He's quite a thinker on fiction and quite a thinker on where do you envision the future of community headed over, let's say, 
the next decade. Yeah. I don't know about the next 10 months, let alone the next <laughs> 10 years, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. And I'm intentionally not going to use any Web3 terms because people will tune out. So I'm going to talk in where I see it going without using lingo that's going to frighten people because you and I have talked privately, Michael, we, we really see that this next wave of technology is going to change so much of how we live our lives in the same way that the internet did 30 years ago. I'll give you a few examples. I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see the mass adoption of authors fractionalizing their royalties with readers. So what that means is you could, let's say that JK Rowling is your favorite author and she's going to publish a new book. And she says, you know, if you, if you pay $5 into this book club, we'll call it a book club, then you're going to get, you know, 0.0004% of the book's royalties for life. And now if you think about that, about what that does, right, that incentivizes her to sell that membership to her, her most voracious readers. The readers now have a financial incentive for that book to do well. So they are going to, they're going to tell people about it because the more books that are purchased, they're, they're going to make some, some money in it. That's never been possible before. And that's already happening. And I, I think, I think we're going to see that on a, on a mass adoption scale. I almost I almost see it as like if you go to a marketplace, a book marketplace, you might have like, you know, download the ebook, buy the paperback, invest in the author. Like it'll just be seamless, right? And you'll you'll be able to 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 do that if you want. And uh, so I think that's a big one. In term there another big one that I I'm really is starting to happen now is involving with communities. So right now, if you let's say you purchase an online course, or you purchase, purchase a membership into a community. What happens when you no longer need that course or you no longer need the community? You're kind of stuck with it, right? The, the data on online courses is horrible. I think it's at best guess, like 12 to 15% of people finish an <laughs> online course that they buy, even the one that costs hundreds, right? So imagine now if you buy the online course and you finish it and you're like, all right, I learned what I needed to learn, or you spend six months in a, in a community and you're like, okay, I feel like, I feel like I'm good now. Like I can leave this community instead of just being out that money. What if you could then turn around and sell your membership or resell that course to someone else who needs it? And the original creator gets a percentage of that resale and you get a percentage of that resale. So, I mean, that's just a, a very simple pivot, right? It's a, it's a simple paradigm shift in how we look at online content, specifically in memberships now, like the ability to resell a membership or a course and still have the creator benefit is again, something we've never had before. And that that's starting to happen. So I think just those two things alone for authors and readers are going to just fundamentally change the landscape. Yeah, that's I mean, at the, at the service, it's like kind of mind blowing. It's like, what? And I think it's worth saying as well that, you know, Currently, the infrastructure that exists, although you could mop together solutions like this, a lot of it is still in the works. We need to kind of see these things out a bit more in terms of the underlying technology and how authors can make use of it. But this idea of being able to involve your audience more directly in your work is something that, you know, is certainly on the uptrend. And I'm curious what you think specifically because, you know, someone like Amelia started off on Wattpad and, and Wattpad now, for those who don't know, it got acquired by this company called Naver. I might be mispronouncing that and I apologize, but it is kind of shifting the company to think more and more about how they can monetize 
fandoms? And that's a really interesting question. And for, for authors who are kind of building a community of readers, you know, some authors don't have to build the community, it just happens. Like, for instance, Harry Potter is something that it's really easy to point to because there's so many readers. There's so much fan fiction about it online. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey had the same sort of thing. And how do you think about fan fiction in this context? Because for authors who are building communities, it seems like fan fiction can collide quite easily with this is a this could be a whole nother conversation <laughs> in and of itself and this isn't a web3 term but i have to mention co or cc0 so it's a creative commons licensing it's happening a lot right now in in the web3 space and what it basically means for authors will get it this way imagine publishing your book into the public domain right? that's what cco licensing is and the immediate sort of traditional conservative response is like what no copyright, like anyone can take my book. But if you think about it, you think about fan fiction and, and, you, and you look at what's happening in the world, we're moving away from IP and copyrights and trademarks. And, and this is controversial and some people aren't gonna get it and that's totally fine. But if you imagine like if you, if you wrote a book and you have put a CCO license on it and then you allowed people to do whatever they wanted with that, they could write their own stories in the world. They could modify that. They could they could write a script and sell it to a movie studio. All of that, all of that rising tide lifts your boat, right? Because you've created the source material. So it's a different way of thinking about it. And I think the technology is going to make it much easier to do that. Because right now there's there's no there's no easy way to track where where a piece of IP is created and how it gets transformed. But that's that's coming. Like that's the technology that's coming. So I, I'll give you another example in the music world. In the music world, let's say you're a, you are a keyboardist and you write this little jingle, right? You can license that jingle into into sample packs, and other musicians can take your little jingle. They can modify it. They can change it. They can build it in. Like rappers do this kind of stuff all the time, right? It's above the board legit license. And right now, once once the once that keyboardist gets paid for that little jingle and they sell it, they don't see any more revenue. But the technology is gonna allow us to track that. So imagine every single time someone uses that jingle that that keyboardist created, they get a certain percentage of the royalties from that forever. Like that's the kind of technology that's coming. And, and I can see that. I can see that coming in the publishing space. I think, unfortunately, I think a generation of authors are going to have to die off to get out of the way because people my age and older are not going to accept that. And that's okay. Like, that's not the world they came from. But I do think sort of this crowdsourced, open sourced, open IP model is the future. And, and I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's, that's so fascinating. I think there will be a future where authors will be able to license their characters and even other things like artificial intelligence and kind of emerging mediums will make taking these characters and IP, utilizing the skill sets of other people and other technologies to build on it and reach so much more people with these kind of core assets. So I think it can be a very beneficial thing to creative people because, you know, right now as indie authors, we're sitting on an industry that's worth several billion dollars and that makes thousands of people's livings, but we don't have a quite an easy way to tap into the larger multi-hundred billion dollar entertainment industry. And I think that's what's exciting to me, how we can actually get these incredible creators to to benefit from this without needing you know, managers and, you know, millions of dollars in Hollywood investments and all these things. So I think that there's a brighter future ahead. But when you talk about all these things, I, I keep thinking about the word like multiplayer. And 
you know, there's this kind of saying of like, you know, business is a multiplayer game, yada, yada, yada. But writing really can be multiplayer. And I want to kind of end off with this kind of question of how have you viewed throughout your career kind of this multiplayer aspect of writing? Because I think as writers ourselves, we kind of, it's an isolating task, you know, kind of necessarily when we're writing, we're not necessarily talking to others. Yet you're someone who has co-authored books. You run communities with other authors. You have community readers. I mean, you do so many things in which you're collaborating with others. So, so how do you view that? And how do you think authors can unlock that power for themselves? For me, it's a blessing and a curse. Like it, it's a bit of my undiagnosed ADHD and that I can't just do one thing. But a lot of my friends are the same way, you know, like just many different interests, many different projects. And, and to be fair, like there, there are some authors who just get up every day and all they want to do is sit at the computer and write and they love that and they're successful at it. And, you know, I look at Lindsay Broker as sort of a good example of that. I think she's starting to take her foot off the pedal a little bit now because she's been doing this for years. But Lindsay's a machine. Like she just cranks out book after book after book. And she, she never strayed from that. Like that was kind of her thing. Like she had a few podcasts here and there, but she mostly wrote the books and published the books and that was it. And she was hugely successful doing that. So part of me, part of me says like, well, yeah, like I, I love that variety and I want to do something different. But the other, another part of me realizes that not everyone has, we're not all wired the same way. And and if what you really enjoy is sitting down and writing the story and that's all you want to do, there'll be a place for you. It, it might be a different path and you might, you might have to, you might have to find different people to support you in that way. But like, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think it's what we're all on is this sort of journey of self-discovery. We're all trying to figure out why we're here and what we like to do while we're here. And, and so the more, the more validation you can get, the more positive feedback you can get on that then that's what you should chase. And, and not just because some Yahoo on some podcast told you you should be doing it some other way. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. It's it's all about finding your passion and the way you love to do it. And the beauty in writing is that there's really no right or wrong way to create a story. And there's readers out there likely for you. And there's people who are going to help you create better stories that there certainly will be readers out there for you. And the toughest part and the hardest part, but the funnest part is just writing. So all the fun stuff that we talk in this podcast about business and, you know, the future and where things are headed, it's important to keep in mind, but it just write great stories. Utilizing these things can really help you break out above the noise. But Jay, this was incredible. I encourage everyone to check out Jay's links to the author life, to his own books and site, and then also to the podcast that he runs with another group of incredible authors called Writers Inc. Jealous of the guests you've had, but jealous in like the best way because you have an all-star guest list. So if you want to see someone interview someone like James Patterson or Hugh Howie, uh, you know, he's someone who's done that. And we are so privileged to be able to speak with you today. So, so thank you, Jay. And I hope you have an amazing rest oh, of your day. Thanks to you both. I really enjoyed our conversation. Hey everyone. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We wanted to come in the end and we do this in a lot of our podcasts. We just share our thoughts in the end about it. But this one, we wanted to take some special attention to because Jay, he's a futurist. He's a very innovative person, writer, but he offered some perspectives that I know some of us may find controversial. And our idea here isn't to go and say, oh, Jay's wrong or this one's right. That's not what we're trying to do. But we do want to spark a larger conversation that we can all be a part of. So, you know, thinking back to the podcast, and some of you may have skipped this point, which, hello, there was things talked about, like writing will involve readers investing into it in the future, or IP will lose copyright that will kind of put things into the public domain and allow others to license it. I think these are all super interesting ideas. I myself, 
like was like, oh, we can license characters. And these are all possibilities that we can imagine and that technology may make possible. And I don't want to think about in like nerdy terms, like blockchain does this and this is what makes this possible. Because I think as writers, we all know better than anyone that what we can imagine can become our story, can become our experience. But I think that also means that when we hear someone's version of an imagined future that may not be comfortable to us, instead of trying to shut down, instead of trying to be like, no, and pushing against it entirely, and also instead of just blindly following it and saying, well, this sounds really cool to me. I think there's an interesting space for reflection to actually figure out what future excites you and inspires you. And I think when we talk about the future, we use the word the as if it's like going to be one thing, as if publishing is one thing. But today we have traditional publishing, we have self-publishing, and there's a million worlds that exist in each. There's authors who make living can own it. There's authors who make livings on platforms like Radish. There's authors who are just why. There's authors who sell direct. There's authors who don't even write books and engage in storytelling in different ways. So you can already see it now that like there wasn't just one future. There's many. And I think this will always hold true. And I think when figuring out about the future that you want, you don't have to sit here and think that, oh, every writer who doesn't adapt to a specific version of the future will just die. That was never true. It never will be true. And I think if we as writers can work together to build things, to build communities and spark conversations, we can continue to make this vision for the future happen together because we probably all don't really like the vision that Amazon's at right now. Like, I haven't met a single writer who goes, yeah, that, that's exactly what I wanted. Amazon. That was perfect. That, that was it. You know, let's give away all of our royalties in Amazon ads. You know, Bezos, please take all of the money that we profit from and invest it into selling TVs, right? Like maybe that wasn't what you were imagining. wasn't what I was imagining. However, we have an opportunity when we come together to actually change that. Like, Amazon doesn't actually rule the world. People can buy their books elsewhere. And yeah, that sounds like a lazy argument. And to a certain extent, it is. I think that Amazon has great, great power. They hold so much data and it's a big struggle. But if we just believe that other people control their future and that technology is this immutable wave that comes in, where where is the story in that? There is no story. So I think we should actually try and put ourselves in the driver's seat and actually as authors come together and do things. and. Amelia faced this firsthand, was becoming a platform that wasn't a great home for her. Patreon, although it's a company that deeply cares about creators, was not built by or for authors. It was something that didn't have the features she wanted. It didn't even allow her content there. And that was a future in which she imagined that she could be censored, she could be deplatformed, and she wouldn't have a space that her readers would be able to enjoy her stories in. That's pretty dystopian. That's not a future she wanted. Now, what did she go and do? Well, today we're working on something that may help to change that and will help to change that for herself. And it's called Reen. And this is our platform of subscriptions for authors. And it's something that may be useful to you. But I think even more than that, I hope it inspires you. Because one thing that Amelia is not doing is doing this alone. She's working with her husband. She's working with me. She's working with our community of hundreds of authors to bring this vision to life. We're all doing this together. It's amazing. It's super cool. And we're going to see what happens. But if it seems super intimidating to go up against Amazon alone, like as an individual in that whole big future that's bearing down on you, it's pretty tough. But as a storyteller, we have the magical ability.
to be able to share our ideas, share our thoughts in the world, and bring other people together around them. So as a storyteller, all of us collectively as storytellers, I think it's important to thoughtfully engage in these conversations and go, this is one man's vision. That's my closing remarks on this. And I really appreciate Jay for the courage to share these conversations because what's even worse is just not having them. I agree. Sorry. There's not really much else for me to say. That pretty much summed it up. I kind of ranted, but I think it's important. It's important. I, I think about this stuff all the time. I deeply care about us as authors and really communities being able to build their own future and not have, you know, what we'll call it digital colonialism. I don't know what history will say about this era, but it's not an era that I imagine. And I think that there will be room for all of us as authors and yeah. there's never going to be just one future. I know. Which, which but it's I, cool to think about. It is cool to think about. It's cool to think about. And we really appreciate y'all being here with us and listening to us and giving Jay a chance to be part of this conversation. We promise to keep this mostly focused on subscriptions. That podcast was also mostly focused on community subscriptions, but we aren't afraid to continue pushing a conversation forward. And we aren't afraid ourselves to go out and try and build a future that we think will be useful to the people we love and care about. So anyways, thank you for listening. We'll see you all next week. Happy writing, everyone. Oh, 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 o